everybody, and welcome to Macintosh Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And this week, we're finally making David watch 1989's Christmas Vacation. The Griswold family's plans for a big family Christmas predictably turn into a big disaster. Like, how have you made it this long on planet Earth without having seen this? I've seen chunks of it at given moments and then never made a specific point of seeing this whole movie front to back. And now that you have, Eh. (laughs) you weren't missing much. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Like, I get why people like this. I really do. But this movie is garbage. Oh, I wouldn't say it's garbage. It's really just Chevy Chase. Like, that's it. Sometimes that's worth the price of admission. No, I don't disagree. He can be great. But, like, so much of this movie is a bummer or it's just so not great. Well, you know what this is? What? This is the Scrooged equivalent of It's a Wonderful Life. They took the It's a Wonderful Life story and then ran it through the Griswolds. That's what they did. There might be a context thing here. Like, late 80s was a real bummer down period for America. Mm Mm-hmm. And the economy had tanked and stuff like that. So I think at the time, this meant a whole lot more than it does now. Um, You've been paying attention? (laughs) Because I have some news for you. I I think they were banking on the relevancy factor with the comedy. And it's not happy-go-lucky. Oh, well, okay. It's still relevant in that you've got this guy who's just being very idealistic about Christmas. He wants to have these wonderful memories and he's counting on his Christmas bonus to put in something, do something really big for his family that year. And like, no matter what difficulties they're having they know they have it really well off compared to other people in their family and yeah some extended families coming and they're going to be difficult and annoying but whatever it's family like that is always going to be somebody's situation no matter what whether you've had a good year financially or emotionally or whatever everyone has a family member who's just the biggest pain in the ass that they have to deal with at the holidays Like, that's always a thing. There's always somebody who can easily turn Christmas fun into just nothing but Christmas stress. Yeah, all that stuff is still relevant. All of it. But this movie sucks. No, it's not that bad. It sucks. The budget for this film was $27 million, and it grossed about $71 million. It's a good return for a Christmas movie. Yeah, not bad. It's an established franchise, too, at this point. True. This is the third in the National Lampoon's vacation movies. There was vacation, European vacation, this, and then they had a Vegas vacation. As a Christmas-themed movie, it never actually makes it to Christmas Day. That's true. This film concludes on Christmas Eve, so that makes it a little bit unusual. The term Griswold House has instantly became a part of the American vernacular to describe a house that was overly decorated in a gaudy fashion. There's no way you don't go down a crazy street and go, well, this is the Griswold Street. That's the Griswold house. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Those are the weirdos this year. Yeah. This is one of three films in 1989 to feature an animated title sequence. This was just starting. The others were Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Troop Beverly Hills. It really is useless. Oh, it's like... It was one of those, we didn't want to do a montage, or there's nothing we can do that serves the story in terms of credit, so let's do an animated sequence. And I guess it's impressive? I don't know. It was new. It was 1989. They didn't do a whole lot of that. 
All right, so let's get into the writing. Um, a writer is somebody that we've met, we've talked about a bajillion times. It's John Hughes. This is actually based on his short story, Christmas 59, and it's the second vacation story to be published in National Lampoon's magazine. The first was Vacation 58, which is, was the basis for the film Vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this story was published in their December 1980 issue. And when John Hughes was asked if he wanted to write the new vacation film, he was like, okay, I only want to do it if I have a good story. And then he realized, well, I already wrote this one, so I'm just going to do that because he knew it was just going to be a Chevy Chase vehicle. I was like, all right, we'll, we'll do that. I don't like the writing because I think the story is actually garbage. I don't think so. I think it's... The the story is It's a Wonderful Life without the angel sequence. Well, it's just, it goes on for way too long. It's just, it's yucky. It's not good. It's just not. Like, they would have almost been better if they had gone, okay, we're going to have this type of scene and this type of scene and Chevy, just do whatever you want. This, this is where you start. This is how you have to end up. Go. And then they just edit around it. But knowing John Hughes writing, is John it Hughes possible? is a great writer. Is it possible that Chevy tanked a bunch of that by just throwing physical bits at the story? No, because his best physical bits are his reactions to other people. That's true. The only time where I can literally watch this movie and go, this is all Chevy, is when he's in the attic. When he's locked in the attic, it's just like, oh, I find this. Okay. I find this. Okay. I'm going to play with this. Like, that's him just being Chevy Chase. And a comedic genius. They don't play to his strengths in this. No. Because Vacation is such a good fucking movie. I don't know if I've actually seen Vacation. Oh, okay. no. You can put that on the list. Vacation, Fine. first of all, all of them are an acquired taste because Chevy mm-hmm. Chase is an acquired taste and we can talk about that later. But Vacation is great because they do play to those strengths. Okay. They play to putting him in ridiculous situations where he has to react. And it's that Chevy moment of, well, something incredibly insane is going on around me. I'm going to try to be the coolest person in the room, even though I'm definitely not. I think John Hughes is the wrong person to write for a Chevy Chase. But I will forgive him this horrible submission into his works of art because he has several amazing pieces of work. And my favorite Christmas movie ever, that is One Home Alone. So let's move on to our director, Jeremiah S. Chechik. Before this, he had done two things. Van Halen, When It's Love, and Hollow Notes, Downtown Life. This is his first big movie. This and- was the beginning of the music video directors jumping mm-hmm. into movie stuff, so... Part of the problem I have with this movie is that at times it's set up like it's vignettes, mm-hmm. and then they somehow try to shove this through line in halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. That's the issue with the script. Either do vignettes or do a through line, but pick one and run with it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. You have a writer who doesn't know how to write for this guy, and you have a director who doesn't know how to direct with that kind of guy. So it's just... It's just bad. It's just a bad group of people. Like, not not knocking on anybody, but it's just like, this is not a good group. Chechnik went on to direct Benny and June, the 1998 The Avengers film. That's the one, like, the British Avengers, not Marvel. Yeah, he's just done a lot of TV since then. And he's still going. I do have one little tidbit about a, a who could have been better for the director. Chris Columbus was originally set to direct, but dropped out because him and Chevy Chase cannot get along. 
many people in Chevy Chase cannot get along. Exactly. And <laughs> so, like, he, I mean, he went on to work famously again with John Hughes on Home Alone 1 and 2 and Only the Lonely. So it's just kind of like, okay, would this have been good for Chris Columbus? No, because the script is garbage. Yeah, Chris Columbus can't can't I, overcome a bad script. Okay, I take that back. If we didn't have to worry about the Chevy Chase aspect of this movie, and it was just John Hughes's writing and Chris Columbus, Chris Columbus could have added the emotional weight necessary to even the clunky writing. I will give them that. May I posit a counter theory? Okay. Because John Hughes wrote the screenplay for Vacation, which I forget. Did he? Okay. Harold Ramis directed that film. Well, Harold Ramis knows how to do comedy. Uh-huh. He's amazing. Hello. This is the issue here is John Hughes got wrapped up in all sorts of stuff, but I bet you if we had a lot more details, it's the director that's the, the problem here. And the edit. Well, he was... The edit is so clunky on this Well, movie. he's definitely green. Definitely green. And yeah, it feels like a music video. And you know what? We could have completely removed the entire thing about Clark's boss. We could have, or we could have removed a bunch of extra filler, like the upstairs scene with him watching the film of the old Christmases. That's like One the, of the two. That's like the only thing I like about the movie. Well, there's some other things that I really like. I like that in him, like when he's wearing the turban, it cracks me up. But... But imagine if they leaned straight into that storyline mm -hmm. and then played up how everything how everything random keeps going wrong and then it mounts to that final conclusion, yeah. you would probably be fine with it because they've kept that tension throughout the entire movie. No, I, I feel like what they should have done is remove that whole thing and he's waiting for his check, he's waiting for a check and still have it be delivered late. And I feel like his thing should have been not spending it on a pool it should have been i'm gonna give some money to cousin eddie to get them back on their feet and then i'm gonna take y'all on a big vacation which sets up for the next film uh but it's clark griswold i know but it would have been more like emotionally satisfying than just i'm buying a big pool this is the double-edged sword with john hughes mm -hmm. is that john hughes is or can write brilliant screenplays mm -hmm. But John Hughes also has a very, very specific understanding and cultural reference. And if you can't jive with that or a story can't jive with that, boom, the script is terrible. And it's happened in his career. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's part of that issue is like he's got this one bailiwick that he always runs to. And if it's not going to fit the story, pff, you're done. Well, yeah, this movie's garbage. But, but, for me, mm -hmm. something saves it from being total piece of turd. All right. Well, let's go to our cast. We have Chevy Chase as Clark. Before this, he was on SNL, Caddyshack, Vacation, European Vacation, Follow That Bird, Three Amigos, Fletch Lives. And after this, he's been on 8 billion things, but the big ones are he's an L.A. story, Last Action Hero, Cops and Robertsons, Vegas Vacation, he was on Chuck, Hot Tub Time Machine, and Community. We did say Fletch Lives. We should also mention Fletch for the oh, game yes, before. Fletch. God, he's brilliant. He's great. He's, he's so, so he's so good at reacting to others. He's got he, very expressive eyebrows. Well, he looks 8,000 times better because I think he had finally gotten clean at this point. He was on cocaine for a long fucking time. And, and he looks a lot cleaner in this. Mm -hmm. 
He looks a lot more put together. So he's very, very crisp in his timing. Yeah, no, he's on it. And like every almost failed joke, he manages to save with how he reacts to it. Yeah, I mean, the scene with him and the the lady at the mall is all him. It's, it's all him. It is the dumbest joke. Like, and he is so good at it. It's, it's ridiculous, that entire scene. But it's all him, and he sells it. I know. Like, it's... It's great. It's just like the Gerald Ford bit, which is, to me, one of the greatest comedy mm-hmm. moments of all time. Yeah. He he does no impression. Mm-hmm. He just says, hi, I'm Gerald Ford, and then proceeds to trip over everything in the room for four minutes. Yeah. And that's all he did. I know. But it's so genius. Well, he's very good at committing. You know, I always enjoyed him whenever I saw him. I loved his character on Community because he's just ridiculous. But, you know, he's a dick, so... <laughs> Chevy Chase is a hard human to like. I appreciate his comedy. I guess where it gets annoying to me is that they make him into a cartoon character. Mm-hmm. And Clark shouldn't be a cartoon character. Clark should be, I'm the consummate, normal, average male. Mm-hmm. And as total disaster reigns around him. Yeah. I mean, when he finally snaps, it's really fun. But there's these there's these moments yeah. where they give him like these bug eyed wide shots, and you're like, no, that's not what he does well. But he he alone helps make half of the bits in this work movie work, and he's doing such good work. I really appreciate what he does. Next, we have Beverly D'Angelo as Ellen. Before this, she was in Annie Hall, Coal Miner's Daughter, Vacation, European Vacation. Then she went on to be in Daddy's Dying, Who's Got the Will, a ton of TV movies, American History X, High Fidelity. She had a cameo in that. I mean, she's lovely. Yeah, she's better in the other vacation movies. From the little that I've seen of European Vacation, I agree. God, I would love to see what the rough cut of this movie was because the edit seems like it might be the biggest issue. Mm-hmm. She's she's given so much more calming agency as the mom, mm-hmm. who's like the only level-headed person. Yeah. Because Clark is prone to complete and total flights of fancy. <laughs> And so she's the one who has to kind of somehow Snap talk him, him down. Yeah, no, no. She's, I mean, she's great. She, they just, they she, didn't give her enough time. Yeah, she's just is the supportive wife in this film. Yeah. And that's okay, but. That character means so much more in the other movies. I wish they'd have given her more screen time. And I like the two of them together. It's true. Mm-hmm. All right, next, we have Juliette Lewis as Audrey. This was her breakout film. Uh, before this, she was on a couple episodes of The Facts of Life. My stepmother is an alien. And then after this, she did The Wonder Years, Cape Fear, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Natural Born Killers, Mixed Nuts, Basketball Diaries, From Dusk Till Dawn, The Other Sister, Old School Whip It, Due Date. She's on the current TV series Camping. And she's also in The Connors which is the continuation of the Roseanne series. And she is playing Johnny Galecki's girlfriend <laughs> in that show, which is quite adorable. Also, straight up rock star. She is also a singer and she's also a Scientologist. Well, Poe Body's nerfect. Like, Poe Body's nerfect. Yeah. She's really good. She's great. Except when it comes time for more emotional scenes, she reads flat. And that's just greenness. Like, when she's yeah. like, hey, I'm sorry, Dad. It's just so non-committal. It's not committal. It comes off as very insincere. The The problem is, is that that would make sense if she was still being a bratty teen. But in that moment, she's not. Mm-hmm. And so, like, her face is reading, oh, my gosh, this sucks. I'm really sorry, Dad. But her voice doesn't give anything away. 
So it's just some weird one-off takes where it doesn't work. But most of the time, she's so good at just being, ugh, everything is disgusting. Mm-hmm. Is it too late to tell, gran- to tell Grandma and Grandpa they have to stay in a hotel? Yeah. <laughs> no, she's great. I always enjoy her when she pops up. Next, we have Johnny Galecki as Rusty. Before this, he had just like two or three TV credits. And the other film that he did that actually came out this year in 1989 was Prancer. And then after this, he went on to do Roseanne. I know what you did last summer, The Opposite of Sex, Bounce, Vanilla Sky. And of course, The Big Bang Theory. He's adorable. He is so adorable. Now, there there is a big issue here. And I don't know if you're going to get into it with trivia. Mm-hmm. The fact is that we have suddenly completely recast... Rusty and Audrey in this film. They get recast in almost every film. No, but they in got... the first two, they weren't. I know, but then they the kids were getting too old. Because they get recast in Vegas. In Vegas, it's Marisol Nichols and Ethan Embry. Which, at that point, makes total sense. But here's the problem, is that Anthony Michael Hall, mm-hmm. in, in European Vacation, is already like 14, 15-ish mm-hmm. feel. Okay. Rusty in this movie feels like he's nine. No. Johnny Galecki's just short. He feels like 12 or 13. Okay, but it just... I I get it. I get the inconsistency needs to be called out. Yes. And I get that having a new actor... Like, this is where appropriate joke of, wow, that puberty's really hitting you hard. Like, a joke <laughs> like that to call the fact that, yes, we have a new actor would go a long way. But this is back in the 80s when they didn't think anybody cared. It's It's such a sloppy move. To go from Anthony Michael Hall to Johnny Galecki. Okay, well, Johnny Galecki is as talented an actor as Anthony Michael Hall. I agree. He's great in this movie. Okay. Don't get me wrong. It's a matter of terrible casting choice for visual representation on screen. That's the issue I've got there. Is because they look totally different. And one is definitely older than the other, and it's four years later. Okay. Well, the next one, they don't even look close at all in any way, shape, or form. Ethan Embry could convincingly be teenage Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, But Marisol Nichols? No. Not even a little. Uh Uh-huh. Well, original Audrey was a brunette. Okay. But Marisol Nichols... It then doesn't even look like Marisol Nichols now. That like, is true. not even close. No. You can barely tell that no, they're no, the no, same no, person. No. But John Galecki's great. I love him at, again at the counter scene at the mall. And he's like, Hi, Dad. <laughs> can't see the line, Rusty. Nope. Can't. <laughs> and he just he plays it very well. I love it. It's great. Also, the I've got things to do, you know, bills to pay, gotta clean the dishes. <laughs> And then we get into a bunch of people that have like really big resumes, but aren't necessarily like super known to us. John Randolph as Clark Sr., a man who's been on literally every TV show that ever existed. Highlights? All the President's Men, Heaven Can Wait, and then a ton of theater. He was one of the actors that was blacklisted during the McCarthy era. Oh, interesting. Then we have Diane Ladd as Nora. She did, again, a ton of TV. She was on an episode of Fairytale Theater. She played the mother in the Little Red Riding Hood episode. She was on The Love Boat. And then she did Kiss Before Dying, Rambling Rose, and the movie Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me. And you would also know her. She's the mother of Laura Dern. Ah, she's also got a Wild at Heart in Chinatown on her credits list. So those are good ones, too. Mm-hmm. Then we have E.G. Marshall as Art. He was juror number four. 
in 12 Angry Men. And then he was also in Spider-Man 2. He played the president. And then he's just been a bunch of stuff since. Uh, next, we have Doris Roberts as Francis. Okay, this woman has been a regular reoccurring character on every television series in my life, basically. Uh, the big ones was Remington Steele. And then, of course, everybody loves Raymond. So good on that show. Then we have Randy Quaid as cousin Eddie Johnson. Thank God they kept these two characters. Yeah. He was in Paper Moon, Vacation, Caddyshack, Days of Thunder. He's also an SNL alum, Major League Two, Bye Bye Love, Kingpin, Vegas Vacation. He had a TV movie called Vegas Vacation 2, which is Eddie's Island Vacation. <laughs> he was also in Brokeback Mountain, and he's got a movie... I don't know if it's actually coming out this year called Wait. But he's also gone a little bit crazy. Oh, yeah. The Hollywood Star Whackers. Yeah. So. And uh, lack of IRS payments. Um, I hope he's seeking the help that he needs. I think he did get some, actually. I think he's. I, I think some of that's been. Like, I think his brother has st- stepped in to help a little bit with some of whatever was going yeah. on. He's great. Also great. Yes. He's yes, great yes, yes. in this. Because he's, he's Eddie, and Cousin Eddie is a great character. Yeah. Because it is a... It's a great foil to Clark. He's so good in, in Vacation, and the great thing about that character that I'm sure Randy did a great job with was making sure he wasn't just a buffoon, because he does really care about things and does have an actual perspective. He's also just complete and utter white trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then we have Miriam Flam as cousin Katherine Johnson. She's a huge voice actress. I mean, she's been on a bunch of other stuff too, but in the recent years, she's been doing a lot of voice work. We have William Hickey as Lewis. That dude had started in film when he was 10 years old and never stopped working. He was the voice of the evil scientist in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, these people have just long, long things that I just cannot, <laughs> I cannot pare down. Mae Questel as Bethany. Uh, she's the voice of Betty Boop and Olive Oil. Wow. Mm-hmm. So these are just some comic legends that they were like, hey, want to do a one-off? You wanna, yeah, come come play for a little bit. Uh, Nicholas Guest as Todd Chester, the next door neighbor. He is the brother of Christopher Guest. And he is he's, again, been on a ton of different stuff. And he is currently on the television shows MacGyver, the reboot. Then we have Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Margot Chester. Who just randomly gets thrown in here. She's fucking amazing. That bitch don't age. Nope. And her hair has only gotten better with, with age. And I am not reading her credits because they are fabulous. Go look at them. Watch all of her shit because she is never bad in anything. <laughs> and then last but not least, we have Brian Doyle Murray as Frank Shirley. He is one of the famous Murray brothers. Uh-huh. He did this after he did Scrooged. And he looks 8,000 times better, but that was all makeup in, the, in Scrooged for sure. He's great. He's ve- he's actually very good. He does bring a little bit of life to that character where there couldn't, there might have been none. So I do appreciate that from him. <laughs> all right. Now let's get into our trivia. After failing to get the Christmas lights to work one last time, Clark Griswold takes his frustrations out on a plastic decorations in the front yard. Chevy Chase actually broke his pinky finger while punching Santa Claus. And then he res- he resorts to kicking and clubbing the decorations after that happened. The film kept rolling and that's the take that they used. This is the final film of Meg Questel. She began her film career in 1930. Near the end of the film, Rusty says, I told you we should have gone to Hawaii. And that's where he asked to go the most in the first vacation. 
<laughs> That's a nice little callback. Yeah. Uh, when Clark is in bed trying to read the People magazine with his sticky fingers from the tree sap, the person on the cover is the director, Jeremiah Chechnik. <laughs> Fun. The old Dodge pickup that tailgated Clark and the family was the same truck that they used in the movie Overboard, and they live. Chevy Chase uh, is wearing a blue, navy blue Chicago Bears baseball hat, and he wore the same one throughout the all the vacation movies. I mean, that's John Hughes' trademark right there. Everything comes from Chicago. When Clark asks Rusty to help him, you know, check all the bulbs, Rusty looks at his bare wrists, pretends to have a watch, excuses himself, and that is a classic trademark Chevy Chase bit. <laughs> that is something he does a lot. Beverly D'Angelo improvised grabbing Chevy Chase's crotch when the SWAT team holds up the house. She later said that she only did it on the one take on the off chance it would make it to the film's final cut. (laughs) Uh, Like I said before, this movie and Prancer were the only two Christmas-themed movies that came out in 1989, and Johnny Galecki is in both of them. When Clark and Eddie are talking in the living room, they're drinking eggnog out of Wally World mugs. Wally World was the destination of the Griswolds in vacation. God bless it. The house front from Bewitched and the new Gidget appeared in the home movie that Clark is watching in the attic. (laughs) Um, This is the only vacation film where the family doesn't actually go anywhere. Yes. Uh, There's the exception of them going to get the Christmas tree, but everybody comes to them instead. At no point in the film does Rusty ever interact with his grandfather's. And when Clark leaves a gift for his boss, he leaves it on the table. Well, if you look at the table, every single gift is the exact same size and shape. They all have different wrapping paper, but they're, I mean, they clearly all got the same present. Very good. And last but certainly not least, when Clark's boss was kidnapped and brought to the house, Ellen says, this is our family's first kidnapping, which is similar to her line in Vacation, this is our first gun. <laughs> so they kept that going. <sighs> Yep, so that's it. What's our scale? Wally World mugs? I do like the Wally World mugs. All right, this is my film. It's, Wally, it's getting a one and a half. One and a half Wally World mugs. I just don't like this movie at all. I'm going to give it two and a half. I think part of the reason you don't like this movie is you've never seen Vacation. Hmm. And having not seen Vacation, hmm. you don't already have an attachment to these characters, specifically Clark Griswold. Now, granted, you could hate Vacation, and if you hated Vacation, then logically you would not be a fan of this movie. But I think that's part of the issue here is that this movie, first of all, is sloppy and messy and should be tightened up and made better. But also, it very much relies on the fact that you understand who Clark Griswold is. Because if you do, then they can start painting around, hey, remember how obsessed this guy was with the perfect family vacation? Well, he's also obsessed with the perfect family Christmas. (laughs) And it's cross-applying that whole character trait to this new story. Hmm. So to me, I've still got that connection, but then the sloppiness tempers what I would enjoy out of it. So what you're telling me is we have to watch all of the vacation films. I did not say that, but... I have but. seen all of them now. Okay, because I, have, I haven't seen Vacation. I've only seen the TV edited version of European Vacation, so I know I'm missing out on the boobs. Uh, and I've never seen Vegas Vacation. Well, shit. I guess I know. Ugh, fuck. 
Hey. And then there's a new redone vacation, which is apparently great with Ed Helms. I know about that one. That one looked stupid because I don't care. All right. So I guess we know what we're doing this summer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are completionists here at Macintosh and Mod. We did watch all eight Rocky films. So, oh boy. Well, that's it for this year. Those are all of our movies we've done. We've oh, done goodness. a lot. Yes, we did. We've done a lot of movies. We've seen a lot of movies in theaters. And now everything we see is going to be leading up to Oscars. So last year we did Best Picture winners that we hadn't seen. And this year we're going to do Best Performances that we haven't seen. There's a lot from recent years that one of us or both of us have missed. Uh, Some of them even are twofers, where you got not only a Best Actor or Actress, you got a Best Supporting out of it too. Uh, Like Million Dollar Baby. I've never seen that. So we're going to catch up on some of that. Uh, We're also going to, we've also tried to pick a few that are from, you know, not the 90s. Yesteryear. Yesteryear. We're going to try and fill in some of that back catalog that we just don't, we just don't have a lot from the 50s and the 40s. It'd be so much fun. So yeah, so that's what we're going to do for Oscars this year. We're also going to make sure we see every Best Picture nominee. Nominations for the Oscars come out on January 23rd. So we have our predictions now and for what we think is going to make it. But next week, you're going to get our year in movies. We're going to go through all the films we watch. We're going to talk about our highest rated films and our lowest rated films. And then we're also going to talk about the new movies. What were our top five best films we saw in theaters and what was the biggest turds we saw in the theater, <laughs> uh, which is always a lot of fun. So it's, it's interesting to see how our ratings pan out this year versus last year. It's true. I'll have a nice little chart. There'll be a visual. I love visual aids. It's really fun. And it's also really easy to see where David and I differ. And, you know, let's see how many twos I gave out this year. Because last year I was really bad about my twos. (laughs) I think this year I got a little meaner. (laughs) (laughs) And you got a lot nicer. I know you have a lot more fours this year than I did. I'm sure I do. But there were some good movies. Yeah. It'll be fun. So until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.